Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The UFC is back in the Lone Star State where the stars at night are big and bright and someone's mantle will be a little bit brighter with interim heavyweight gold come Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. Depends on what time they get back home, but we'll find out the answer to that question tomorrow night as we welcome you to the UFC 265 preview show here on MAFighting.com going old school on this Friday. I am Mike Kack joined by Sean Alshadi and the Prince of Positivity, Alexander Kaylee and Sean right off the bat. Look, there isn't an undisputed title fight. We don't have Conor McGregor. We don't have any of the Diaz brothers. No extra bells and whistles. We got an interim title fight, which is essentially, in this case, a higher paying number one contenders fight in the main event between Derek Lewis and Cyril Ghosn with the prize of fighting Francis and Ghosn at stake. But the rest of this card, while not, well, it might not be like the biggest names in the world, there's some really interesting fights. A lot of preliminary fight of the night conversations are already ongoing. As a fan of just fights and matchmaking, is this a fight card top to bottom that has you excited and intrigued heading into tomorrow? Oh man, that's a tough question, right? Because ultimately I, I know we call AK the Prince of Positivity, but I like to think I'm a pretty positive to, person too. I don't want to come in here and crap on anything or really go negative right off the bat, but it is hard to look at this card and the permutation that we got in the end game of it and not think about what should have been right. Because this, this ultimately, this would be a great fight night card. This would be a a plus level fight night card, but for a pay-per-view, it is certainly feels like it's lacking a bit. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of enthusiasm and excitement around it. The main event is a great fight, man. It is Derek Lewis, Cyril gone. That's a tremendous fight. It's just everything around it. That does that really poisons the well a little bit, right? Like this should have been, John Jones and Francis Ngannou. If nothing else, it should have been Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis. Like we should have been seeing the best heavyweight in the world. And instead we get the silliest, stupidest interim title fight that I have seen in a long, long time. Like none of this makes any sense. Francis Ngannou just fought a couple of months ago. We're not, we don't need to relitigate that all, all, all of just how this came to be, but it just does feel anticlimactic. It feels low stakes for, despite the, the relatively high stakes around it. I don't know. 
it's hard to it's hard to wash that taste out of out of our mouths, man. Because or at least out of my mouth. Because again, John Jones, Francis Ngannou should be happening, and at the very least, Francis Ngannou should be happening. Instead, we have this sort of weird Frankenstein monster version of a card where you know we don't we don't even really have much here to, to hold on to that the best fight is a, a fake fight really a fight that doesn't mean much but does mean much in the grand scheme of things if that makes sense so enthusiasm for it uh i mean i'm maybe a seven out of ten which is pretty low for a pay-per-view but ultimately uh, there are a lot of fights on this card that that i would imagine will deliver to some degree i mean you look at up and down jose aldo's on this that's my guy you got kiesa luke on it as well tisha torres angela hill rematch like there are good fights up and down this card so so let's focus on that ak you are the prince of positivity and not long ago we lost the second title fight on this card really the only like actual actual title fight between amanda nunez and juliana pena Nunez, as everybody knows, tested positive for COVID and the fight was postponed to a later date. I know Pena, who crashed the press conference, mentioned December. I'm told very light talks at best. Not a ton of movement on that, but there is talks about December rebooking that fight. But I'm wondering if you felt this card took a real big hit losing that fight. Like it is a title fight, sure. But I think there's enough fireworks potential that it didn't really hurt it that much. Like, do you agree with that? Anytime you miss out on the chance to watch Amanda Nunez fight, I feel like something has been lost because especially since we do know in her career, given both again, where she is in her life and the level of kind of lackluster level of competition that she's had at 135 and 145 over the last 18 months, last two years, she doesn't have a lot of fights left. Uh, I, I don't think so anyway. You know, it, it'll change if suddenly there's a surge of contenders, certainly uh, in the divisions in which she holds titles. I just, it's just hard to predict that sort of thing. And, and uh, I, I'm a positive person. I'm an optimist, Mike, but I mean, just based on what I know of these divisions right now, I just don't sense that, that rush of challenges coming. So yeah, anytime we missed on the chance to compete, it kind of, it kind of sucks. I do, I do expect this is one that will, uh, will be rebooked uh, shortly, uh, assuming, you know, there's, there's no, no, uh, you know, hopefully no COVID complications for uh, Amanda Nunez and, um, you know, and, and she can avoid testing positive in the future, but uh, yeah, it did weaken the card. I will say also, but it was it was screwy from the beginning because uh, that fight should have been the main event with, with respect to Derek Lewis and Cyril Gan and the the uh, the shiny interim heavyweight title. Uh, that should they, they got to give respect to Amanda Nunez. I know she hasn't drawn as a as a pay per view headliner. That that's there's no arguing with that. Um, but I, I don't. It's not like Derek Lewis. I don't feel like Derek Lewis and Cyril Gan are necessarily proven. Uh, sell, sales uh, pay-per-view movers either, right? I know they're heavyweights and in general heavyweights in combat sports have, have a, there's an inherent interest there, but it's not a guarantee. So I feel like it wouldn't have mattered if they had Nunez and, and uh, Pena at the top of the marquee and then uh, uh, Lewis and gone below them, but I guess it's a moot point now. So uh, something was lost. I don't know how much it hurt it. I, I don't think that this was going to be a massively selling pay-per-view anyway. Um, so definitely uh, for the fans, like hardcore fans planning to tune in uh, regardless, it hurts. Mainstream interest, I feel like uh, probably probably didn't hurt it that much. John, let's talk about this main event because we initially reacted to this booking and slapping an interim title on it. And you, you, it doesn't seem like your mind has changed very much. Much I've since gotten over it. It is what it is. Two guys are going to make more money. They're basically fighting for a number one contender spot and they'll get a belt and whatever it is what it is. But you got Derek Lewis looking to, to get back into an undisputed title fight after the loss to Daniel Cormier against a really mature, well-rounded technical up and comer in Cyril Gan, who has yet to 
be even truly tested or put through the ringer in any way in his MMA career in and out of the UFC, looking to strike gold and just his 10th professional fight. This is a remarkable story of, of just a, a meteoric rise for Cyril Gunn. Like, however you feel about the interim title, we're going to put that in the barn burner. You, you said it's an interesting fight from a stylistic perspective. Like what about this fight sticks out to you? Yeah. I mean, I do like this fight ultimately just when you, bare bones it down to what it actually is, right? Because the two converging storylines are actually very fascinating and also quite opposite, I would say. I mean, Derek Lewis at this point is a guy who for a long time was sort of looked at as if like he's just not good at MMA in a strange way, right? Like there's there's sort of this weird way of thinking around Derek Lewis that he's just kind of getting lucky all this time. And it's like, that doesn't happen over and over again. Like you don't get lucky for a decade, right? Like he is who he is. And he's this guy who maybe he's not technically the most proficient and maybe he's not technically the best all around fighter, but he's someone who can end a fight at any moment's notice. And we've seen him do it throughout his career. And at this point, he's really carved himself one of the better MMA heavyweight careers that we have ever seen, at least in the UFC. Like he is a genuine hall of fame borderline type of candidate right now at this stage of his career with the records that he has the wins that he's gotten and just you know this is his second title fight if we want to call it a title fight he has quietly been great for most of his ufc heavyweight career and i don't feel like we think of him in that way and so this is almost an interesting sort of culmination of all of that right because he is 36 and in the heavyweight division we can see fighters go longer. We can see fighters even become champion late in their thirties. So I wouldn't say this is the last gas for Derek Lewis is the last chance he's going to get, but it does feel like the best chance that he's going to get to ever hold UFC gold. And then on the other side of this, Cyril gone is just such a uh, total polar opposite, right? Like this is really the second time that Cyril gone's coach Ferdinand Lopez has done this where he's taken a, a incredibly raw, but incredibly, you know, talented, just physically gifted, athletic uh, specimen of an athlete. And really within a span of three years, guided them from not being anything in MMA, not knowing what this sport was into being a UFC title challenger. We just saw it a couple of years ago with, with Francis uh, Ngannou, obviously. They don't, that partnership is no longer here anymore. Ferdinand Lopez has moved on and so is Francis. But the fact that that Ferdinand Lopez is doing this for a second time so quickly in this division, I find to be very, very impressive. And Cyril gone, I mean, he he seems like, from at least what we've seen, the total package, right? Like he has the submission, a, a very sneaky, underrated submission game. He is a very uh, powerful striker. We've seen him get these big knockouts, but also he is just someone who is so... Um, able to manage the game, right? He is a game manager when he needs to be. We've seen it in these last couple two fights against Rosenstruck and Volkov. He he's, has no qualms about going five rounds and just being slightly better than you for all five of those rounds. And that feels like a very direct path to victory that he could pull off against a Derek Lewis. But then you always have the black base factor where Derek Lewis could be losing this fight for the first 23, 24 minutes of it. And then he could absolutely win it in that last minute, no matter how hurt or how tired he is. So in that regard, it's a fascinating fight. I think both on a storyline level and also just on a physicality level in terms of the skill sets that these guys bring into the cage. So I love the fight in, in and of itself when it's just boiled down to that uh, dynamic because it is just totally anybody's game. I know Derek Lewis is coming into this as a massive underdog which is very typical for Derek Lewis in his career. He comes into these big fights as a huge underdog, but a lot of time he wins. A lot of times he wins it, man. And that feels like a total up for grabs possibility going into this one too. 
How do you view this one in your eyes, AK? What do you expect to see when these, with these two guys locked in the big octagon, when the referee gives them to go ahead to start fighting and doing some work, what are you expecting to see out of these two gentlemen? Listen, I think it'll go exactly as, as people are predicting it'll go. I, th- I think the on-paper analysis of it makes a lot of sense. We've seen Derek Lewis in fights against these sort of more tactical strikers. Uh, uh, Alexander Volkov's a good example. Um, and, you know, he needed, he needed a very, very late uh, uh, flurry to, 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 get, to escape with the win there. Uh, but that's, it's, 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 it's kind of like what Sean was saying. It's, 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 at some point, we have to be used to this strategy. We've seen him enough times where this is a very real, tangible thing that he can do. So while, yes, on paper, we say, well, Cedar Gan's going to pick him apart, just like Cedar Gan picked apart uh, Jared Zunior Rosenstrike, just like he, he won his fight with Alexander Volkov. He's just too technical for him. Derek Lewis transcends those sort of transcends predictions. Like I would have thought Curtis blades on paper. Well, this is a great matchup for Curtis blades. He's a great wrestler. He's going to con- control Derek Lewis on the ground. We saw a little bit of that, but then Derek Lewis just Derek loses it up. And, and again, swanging and banging, he jokes about it. You know, it's sort of the, as this phrase for how he fights, it's real. It's a real, it's a real way to fight. And we see it. I'll say this. If, if you watch like, you know, lower level, uh, heavyweight fights uh, on the regional scene around around the world and like you know Russia, Serbia, things like that. You see a lot of swanging and banging from heavyweights. It's just that this guy, uh, one, he has better technique than I think. Obviously, he would he wants to admit. You know, he's going to joke about how how wild he is, how he doesn't care about jujitsu. He just powers out of you know grappling positions. But there, I think there is a, there, with Derek Lewis, there is a skill there. There's a lot of skill there, a lot of technique, but it's hidden. It's hidden underneath this affable personality. This kind of like ah, I don't really. I just go in there. I'm not like you know one of those guys who trains 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, but he looks, by the way, in great shape for this one. He said uh, he's trained for this more than ever. He's feeling a little bit of pressure from from having to fight in his hometown. So this is a very real moment for him. And uh, for me, he's saying all the right things leading into this matchup. Uh, and I want to touch upon, I think, Sean, you said this is like a seven for you. I think, Mike, you said the same thing uh, earlier today, right? You said a seven. Seven out of ten for you, level of excitement? Six, seven. Six and a half, seven, yeah. Six and a half, seven. Our friend, uh, E. Spencer Kite, of course, said uh, ten. Ten out of ten. Just jazz, completely jazzed for it. I landed on eight. E. Casey landed and E. Casey Leiden landed on five. Excuse me, and uh, somewhat for the same reason that Sean mentioned, uh, it's not the fights that we wanted at heavyweight, but that's okay. I think judged on its own merits. Like again, I stand by I stand by my eight rating. I think there's a lot of intrigue here. And by the way, those those interim that interim gold uh, shines the same as undisputed gold. Mike, you mentioned <laughs> at the beginning. Of, yeah, look, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, someone's mantles gonna be a lot a little bit shinier. You're right. It's a the the belts are identical. The belts are the same. So. Uh, there's no in the mind of these guys. It's uh, it's certainly going to be a nice feather in their cap. They can call themselves a UFC champion, whoever wins by the strictest definition of the term. And uh, and and by the way, thank goodness for Dana White putting the interim title on the line, so these guys could be paid more. Because otherwise, as we all know, guys, unless there's a title on the line, you can't pay the fighters more. That's just not you know that just doesn't work, right? Can't do that. That's a whole other podcast right there. I had to dumb it down uh, at the end. I just wanted to I just want to see how it sounded saying it out loud because I've seen so many people tweet it. And I'm like, do these people actually say this out loud? Like thinking that titles, that fighter pay really revolve, like has to revolve around titles. And now that I've said it, it sounds even worse than when I've read it. So uh, you know, I you won't be hearing me say that again unless it's in a satirical way. Wow. Look at AK. Little mm. slight heel turn, not full heel turn, but uh we'll leave it at that. Sean, if you're Francis Nganu. What are you hoping comes out of this fight? Because there's interesting storylines attached to both of these guys. And I mean, if you believe Dana White, winners getting in Ghana. If you're in Ghana, what do you what are you sort of hoping for? Can you even put yourself in those gigantic shoes of his? 
<laughs> gigantic shoes are right. I can't even imagine what that guy's foot size is at this point. Um, no, that's a great question, man. And you're right. I think both sides of, of the issue are actually have good answers, right? Because we all saw Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou won. Uh, that fight, nobody nobody wants to remember that fight. I personally really enjoyed that fight because of a bet that I had with my old buddy, Mark Ramondi yes. for that fight. But I think I am the only person on the face of the earth who enjoyed that fight. Uh, so I'm sure that's one that sticks in Francis Ngannou's uh, back that I'm sure that's one that he wants to get back at some point. Whereas the other side of it, right. The, the Cyril gone versus Francis Ngannou conversation, going back to what I was just saying previously, with their old coach that they share and, and really being former training partners, teammates, that sort of thing, the way that the, that team team sort of broke up, the way that partnership broke up, that to me is a fascinating fight. Like that is a tremendous fight on a lot of different levels. So I don't, for if, if I'm Francis Ngannou, I think I would want the Derek Lewis fight. I think that's probably a more marketable fight. Uh, it feels as if right now the fan base is a little low on Cyril Gaon because these last two fights haven't been the most exciting. Uh, but if Cyril Gaon comes in here and gets, you know, something crazy, if he gets a first round knockout or first round submission or, or even, you know, something early like that, I could see that being a very marketable fight and a fight that the UFC could go a long way with. So I think Francis Ngannou has good options coming out of either. But if I'm him, I do want that Black Beast fight back. I, I want to be able to show the world that I can I can beat this guy and I can do it in a far different and more entertaining way than the last one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to see Lewis and I mean, not Lewis, uh, Ngannou and Gan in Paris if they could somehow pull it up. But this is just I mean, it could be a long time from now because of just what the world looks like. But AK right now, and I know you love talking about this. You love to, to talk about playing the ponies. Our friends at DK Nation have Cyril Gaon listed as a minus 365 favorite. The comeback on Derek, the Black Beast Lewis, is plus 280. Do you agree with those odds? Wow, the disrespect. Uh, first of all, as always, do not bet on MMA, people. Never bet on MMA. Why are you betting on MMA? Invest that money in, in something that actually, that, you know, it's not quite as sexy, but you know you'll get a definite return from. Don't bet on MMA. Why are you guys doing this? Uh, I think that's super high, but... Not surprising, given, again, everything I've heard about and listened to and even things I've probably said myself about this matchup. Uh, again, on paper, this is Sidiel Ghan's fight to lose. He he ha he is the more athletic, sort of faster, more technically sound fighter. Uh, I, I, and, and for whatever reason, Derek Lewis just never quite gets the respect that he deserves. He's won four straight fights. And I still see, uh, and again, this is a very small, specific sampling of the MMA community. I still see comments like, is Derek Lewis really that good? Like, why does, why does the guy keep getting title shots? Why is he ranked in the top five? And it's like his resume stands up against anybody that's fought at heavyweight in, and not just in any, any, in the UFC, in any company over the last like five years. I, I never understand where this comes from. I think it's because he doesn't sell himself. I think it's because he plays that role of the talented, uh, you know, dummy uh, so well. But again, I always thought he's smarter than he, than he presents himself. He's more, he's a better fighter than he presents himself. But, but, but we're talking about how, how the public perceives him. And again, he is perceived as this guy who, who only he's, oh, he only just has a puncher's chance and he's always winning on a puncher's chance. He's always coming from behind. So if you know that uh, he's going to go down on the scorecards early, it is hard to um, to pick him as sort of a favorite. So I understand that. I still think that's those odds are way too high. You said almost four to one favorite for gone. Did you say minus 385? Yeah. Minus 385. 365. Four to one, 365. So, okay, about three and a half, but well over a three to one favorite. 
And you said, uh, you said uh, uh, Lewis almost three to one underdog. I, yep. I assume. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. I think people, again, like I said, stay away people. Don't bet against Derek Lewis in this kind of situation. Don't bet on Cyril Ghan. Uh, I don't know if you get Cyril Ghan in the situation. I say just enjoy the fight for what it is. Um, but I will say the odds, I don't, I'm not a fan. Don't like it. Don't like I do it. have, I do have to say, just jumping in, it, it's always been a really curious thing to me, just this idea, the perception that we have around Derek Lewis. And like, I, I, I do wonder sort of why this exists and has permeated as long as he did. Because I think if you're, if that was your thought three years ago, right? They're like, eh, this guy, he's not that great. He kind of gets lucky a lot. I could see thinking that a couple of years ago as he's sort of going on different runs and it's like, oh, well, the, you know, that one was lucky. That one was lucky. But at a certain point, like that's just who this guy is. And like, I, I think a lot of it has to do with so, almost the meme ability uh, of Derek Lewis, if that makes any sense. The, the, the ability to sort of meme about, how this guy functions within the space and even in his fights, the the whole thing of him just sort of standing up from bottom position and how yeah. jujitsu isn't real and all of that. Like it's fun to laugh about and it's fun to make jokes and, you know, little graphics about, but ultimately it's true. Like anytime this guy is on his back with anybody who's not Daniel Cormier, he just kind of stands up and mm-hmm. it works and it's worked for him for years. And anytime he's out of a fight, like he was against Alexander Volkov, he can just win it at the last possible second with some Hail Mary BS. And that's just who he is. And ultimately, if you're looking at a heavyweight skill set, that's a pretty great heavyweight skill set. The ability to just get up from bottom position at any point and the ability to win a fight at any point. Like those are two really incredible assets to have on your side. And like you've seen, like you said, AK, if you put Derek Lewis's last five years up in the UFC, last six years even in the UFC up against any other heavyweight outside of, you know, the actual Stipe and the Francis's, it weighs pretty well. Like it measures up incredibly well. He, I don't know if he's a hall of famer yet. I wouldn't say I could go that far yet, but he's definitely a first ballot guy into the hall of very good right now. And so just the way, the way that this career ha- has gone, it's, it's bizarre. And I don't know that we'll ever see one like it, but it is pure Derek Lewis. And I love that going into this fight that he is just such a big underdog because this is consistently what happens with this guy. And then he'll just pull something out of his back pocket. And it feels like that could totally happen again. Dana, Dana White likes him, so he's probably a he's probably a <laughs> Hall of Famer. I really not. I mean, that's again, no disrespect to everyone, anyone else who's in there, but that's that's one of like the most basic measurements to get in. Are you a company guy? Does Dana White like you? So unless he gets into some pay disagreement with Dana White over the next couple of years, which seems highly unlikely, uh, he's probably going to make it into the Hall of Fame and and deserves to and deserves to. Um, I guess I, yeah. I just mean it in more of like a broader like if there was like a actual, real like oh, a real MMA yes, Hall of Fame, yeah, that's not voted on it. And, I know but, that's you know, not a thing. That, that's not going to just wait till we start the MMA fighting hall of fame. We've oh, already, God. we've already, look guys, listen, listen, we already solved rankings. We, we already, we've, we've rankings have been solved. Did no we, one, did we well, collectively AK? I, I mean, look, I know a lot of great rankings out there. A, a lot of our colleagues do some great rankings, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, you only need one rankings now. It's MMAfighting.com rankings. We figured it out. Uh, we've solved the formula. Uh, people have been trying to do this for decades. We figured it out. So there you go. So the next thing to do, the MMA Fighting Hall of Fame, that would be the definitive Hall of Fame. Nobody will care about the UFC Hall of Fame anymore. Um, but one thing I did, I did want to add on to Sean's point is Derek Lewis is goofy. He's a goofy guy. He's a goofy character. And, and uh, betters cannot put faith in goofy. You, you, you just can't. You do, that's not how combat sports works. You, you, you want the more serious guy. Though, though by the way, we, I hope people are getting to see Cyril Gan's personality a lot more because uh, he's a bon gamin. He's a big child. He's a big kid, right? I mean, so he, he in his own sense, uh, there's a levity about him, but I guess uh, he's not as well known as as uh, as being this kind of jokester 
this overt jokester that Derek Lewis is. So yeah, that, that's just how people see Derek Lewis, even though the, res- the resume and the results say something totally different. Yeah, Derek Lewis is like the Kevin Euclid of MMA. Like it doesn't make sense, but it works. But go back and watch the Curtis Blades fight. I, I just had to you. bring it back to Boston. Just Always. had to bring go it back to Boston. Sean, every go time. Watch, every time. I swear go God, watch the time. Curtis Blades fight. I'm telling you, very mature. He's maturing. He's, he's more into the coaching staff that he's got around him between crew Bob now bringing in Joe Murphy to help him with his jujitsu and, and, and some of the ground stuff. Like he's in a pretty good place right now. So it, it is an interesting fight. The line is a little wide in my opinion. He was actually a bigger underdog in the Curtis blades fight, but let's go to the predictions for this. Well, and that's event. really oh, quickly. That that's the thing too, is he downplays a lot of this, right? Like you ask him any, even the most simple of questions about how was camp or how improvements or team or anything, he downplays every single aspect of it. And I think that's who plays into sort of this narrative and perception around him of this idea that he isn't someone who takes this seriously, or he isn't someone who sort of has the skills that he actually does. It's just because he's constantly putting it out there. And I, I think he, he does it on, I mean, obviously he does it on purpose. He does it because he gets a kick out of just messing with the rest of us. Yeah. It may get, eases the tension for him and whatever gets you get you to get your hand raised. But Sean, we're going to begin with you on the prediction side. Who's going to walk out of the Toyota center with the interim heavyweight championship is Derek Lewis going to send the Houston faithful home happy or Cyril gone going to turn some smiles into frowns, man. This is such a hard fight to predict for a lot of the reasons that we've already mentioned here. So I'm just going to go out on a limb. I have this feeling. And sometimes you just have this weird feeling that you can't quite explain it. I feel like this is going to be Derek Lewis's night. This is going to be the night where we can always sort of say Derek Lewis cemented himself as, you know, this, this top tier first tier heavyweight, despite all odds, despite nobody really believing he was that guy. I could see Derek Lewis just getting his ass kicked here for like 15, 20 minutes. And then just landing something in round four, round three, round five, something late like that. Uh, and just doing exactly what he's, he's made a career out of at this point, zero gone, has been in the cage with some absolute demons, but he has is still just not nearly as polished and experienced, I think, as he will be, obviously, you know, three, four, five years down the line. I think if you're going to catch him, this is probably the good time to catch him. And, it, and this is a big moment for him, man. I mean, he is coming into enemy territory the way this sort of played out for Derek of being able to do this in Houston. I mean, I can't even imagine how crazy that crowd is going to be behind him that, that he's going to be having them eaten out of the palm of his hand. Uh, so I, I just see it being Derek Lewis's night and the night that we always remember as maybe the best night of his career, or at least sort of this seminal moment for his career where he sort of took that next step. So I'm picking Derek Lewis by some sort of late knockout. And I think he's probably going to get his ass kicked up until that point. AK your thoughts, who gets the interim title tomorrow night? Listen, uh, Cedil Gunn is an amazing prospect. Uh, but his fights with like Volkov, uh, Jarzinho, JDS, those were, those were not even really, those were mixed martial arts bouts. This was a fight. This is, this is going to be, he hasn't met maybe Tanner Bozer a little bit, but Tanner Bozer doesn't have the power of Derek Lewis. He's never fought as volatile a property as Derek Lewis. Uh, he, I don't know if he'll be ready when he's as, as Sean suggested, he's kind of cruising through two and a half rounds, three rounds. And then suddenly Derek Lewis just goes nuts on him and just starts winging it. Just, just swanging and banging like a maniac. I'm not sure if he's going to know how to deal with that. Uh, it's just, that's just something you would learn with experience. Right. And, and he just doesn't, this guy, like I said, 10th pro bout. Of course I'm, so of course I'm going with Lewis similar prediction, but I'm going to be very specific. I think a fourth round, I think we're going to go fourth round, uh, Derek Lewis win TKO, KO, TKO, finish strikes. Um, 
and we'll start to see the worm turn a little bit in the third. I think I think we'll see uh, uh, Lewis kind of catch him with something, or at least threaten with a big shot that gets the kind of gets the commentators going. Like, man, he was inches away there. Imagine if, like, you know, imagine if the timing was just was just a little bit different. And I think we'll see that timing. He'll him, see him find that timing in the uh, in the fourth frame. Uh, so yeah, Derek Lewis is about to become a UFC champion, and uh, again, join other interim championship greats: Dustin Poirier, uh, Tony Ferguson, Carlos Condit. Guys who, again, you know, Poirier still has a chance, but for the most part, never won the undisputed title. Guess what? They're still pretty damn great fighters, and I think Derek Lewis is gonna is gonna do that too. Look, I've gone on record. I'll say it again. There's a very good chance that this fight is not a good fight that it's not entertaining, that it's not at all fun. And this is going to end in one of two ways, in my opinion. One, Gon is just going to cruise to a very easy, simple, not all that exciting 50 to 45 that gets him the title, but not a ton of fans. Or Lewis is going to capitalize on one mistake and that's all it needs. He's going to land one big right hand and the fight's going to be over. 25 minutes is a long, long time. And Gon is going to be playing a very dangerous game. I say Cyril Gon wins every single second of this fight for the first eight or so minutes. And then he's going to get tagged with one big shot. Derek wins. He moves on to fighting Ganu. And I think kind of like what Sean said in regards to Derek Lewis, I think this is going to be a very important fight in the career history of Cyril Gaon. We're going to be looking back on this fight, that result, about how much he has grown from this loss to Derek Lewis. And, you know, being able to, to bounce back from making a very pivotal mistake and getting back to a title shot by maybe the end of 2022, early 2023. So I think in the story of Cyril Gaon, I think it's going to have a huge impact, even though he doesn't win and, and loses his first professional MMA fight. But he's going to look damn good until that right hand lands and... And that's going to be a wrap. Derek Lewis gets it done, sends the fans home happy. We'll get a promo of some sort out of Derek Lewis that we'll all enjoy. And uh, we'll move on to the next one on Sunday. But co-main event. Lewis across the Look board. Look at that. I, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Lewis, Lewis across the board. Sean, call Mark. Get Shuey, Get the Shuey bet <laughs> sequel going. <laughs> I think you might lose this time, though, because I'm sure you'll you'll probably predict again that a, a, an Nganu-Lewis rematch will, will once again disappoint. But I'm just saying, let Mark know. Get that, get that Shuey ready. Fill that Shuey up now. Uh, we'll get that rematch. I'm texting him as we speak. Uh, I could not. I am. I am stunned that for someone who is a three to one underdog, almost a four to one, we just clean swept him across uh-huh. the board like that. But uh-huh. I, I also feel like that sentiment is pretty pervasive in the MMA yeah. community right now. So it's a very bizarre fight in a lot of different ways, right? You you might say we're smarter than the average person. I think that's. How I, I, I definitely right. would not say that. That's that's how I would put it. That's how yeah. I. I <laughs> Maybe I'm speaking for myself. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Yeah. If 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 you really want to get a gauge of how good at picking fights we are, just look at our results from last okay. week's UFC. Moving card. on. And then you were uh, saying my ah, event. Congratulations in, in early to Cyril Gone for becoming. <laughs> sorry, Mark, you said co- yes. Call me an event as you were saying. Yes. Yeah, I don't need it to. It is talk a great fight. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. 
This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. We got Jose Aldo taking on Pedro Munoz. And Sean, I thought about this earlier this morning. I know you don't need a lot to sell you on this fight because Jose Aldo is your guy, but... When we think of the Bantamweight division, it, I mean, it's all about the top, right? The, the, the sort of log jam, like who's next for the title shot? When's Sterling Yan going to happen? Is Dillashaw next? Is Font next? Where's Sandhagen? It's all kind of a mess up, up the top. But a fun byproduct of having that problem is you get fights like this. You get Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz. And we can appreciate it for the fight that it is. Like, it's not a number one contender's bout. There's no giant career-altering stakes. It's just two really fun, exciting fighters getting in there and scrapping, man. Like, I could not love this fight anymore. What are your thoughts on this matchup and just being able to kind of loosen up a bit when we think about it? I love it. I absolutely love it. And so, as I said, Jose L is my guy. So I'll go into that in a second, but I do have to say right off the top, I feel like we need to appreciate Pedro Munoz a little more than we do. Three of this guy's last four fights have been fighting. Oh, yes. Like he is low key. One of the most exciting underrated in terms of excitement guys in this whole sport. Like he, he goes out there and almost every time guaranteed, it's just going to be some sort of craziness. It's going to be some sort of firefight, just some sort of ridiculous. He drew, he's drawn great fights out of Jimmy Rivera for God's sake. Like that's, that's a really hard thing to do to draw exciting fights out of Jimmy Rivera in the UFC and Pedro Munoz has done it. I, I, we don't give this guy the respect he deserves. And if you look at the actual losses that he's suffered over the last like three, four years, it's literally just, you know, Aljamain Sterling. And then that really, I don't know that he lost to Frankie Edgar. I think that split decision was a pretty bad decision, but we can call it if we call it that, if you want, but that's not. Well, you know, you are the robbery master. So I will, I will defer to you on that. And a Frankie fanboy and a Frankie fanboy. <laughs> but Pedro Munoz, does, I guess, ultimately <laughs> my point is he doesn't get the, the respect he deserves when it comes to these type of fights, when we're talking about our excitement level for him. So I'm in on any Pedro Munoz fight right off the bat. But as you said, Jose Aldo, my guy, living legend, still in my mind, maybe the greatest featherweight of all time. Just historically, I know he lost to Max Holloway twice. We don't need to relitigate that. That doesn't matter. Uh, I'm just saying, I love anytime we can see Jose Aldo. And I think the fact that he is still, what is he like? He's like 34 years old at this point. And he is still out here just treating us to absolute shows, putting on blockbusters like he did against Marlon Vera. That was a tremendous fight. And he's just still bringing new tricks out of his bag, like he did against Marlon Vera. Like I never expected ever this bantamweight experiment would work for him. I was one of my, the loudest critics of this when it first happened felt very reactionary uh, of, okay, you lost to Alexander Volkanovsky, but really you're going to go down to bantamweight. Like you're someone who has always struggled making weight, even at 145. How is 135 going to work for you? But he has totally proven me wrong. I, I, I mean, Jose Aldo at this point, you can't doubt this man. He has somehow made it work for himself at bantamweight. He looks pretty good here. Uh, and, and he was looking pretty good against Peter Yan before that fight sort of turned midway through, right? Like the first few rounds, Jose Aldo was making that very competitive. He is a living legend. And to see him 
in a spot like this and in an exciting fight like this, it's just a treat. I, I treasure every Jose Aldo fight we get. And uh, this to me has, has fireworks written all over it. AK wax poetically on the magic that is Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz. Yeah. Look, I touched upon this sort of idea with, uh, with Nunez at the beginning, we got to cherish any appearances that these all time great champions can make. Cause I think Aldo frankly is one of the top five pound for pound best fighters of all time. His, his featherweight run is sadly just not brought up as much as it was before because of that loss to Conor McGregor and, and uh, you, you know, some middling results after, and by middling results, we mean, again, he lost two fights to friggin' Max Holloway, the other like greatest featherweight of all time. So, uh, so and beat your boy prime Frankie Edgar twice. I, convincingly. I don't, re- I don't recall. Uh, but <laughs> prior to that, like, again, he, I, I, I just wish people, and also WC of course is something that has faded, faded, in the memory, but I hope when it's all said and done, people look back on his run from I'm just I'm just looking at it from like 2007 to like 2014. Just some of the most exciting, dominant performances. His opponents were almost uniformly like legit, super good guys. Like if people look at the the winning streaks and the resumes of the guys he fought, um, it's it's as good. I think it's only comparable to like GSP, John Jones, again, other guys that we rank um, among the the top of the pound for pound when we when we talk about those 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 sorts of things, right? And even now, he is putting on these great fights. Like other than maybe the Volkanovski fight, that probably wasn't super entertaining. Especially if you're a, an Aldo fan, it wasn't really that fun to watch. The Marlon Rice fight was so good, so intriguing. His first fight at 135. The Piotr Jan fight, as you said, it's almost kind of forgotten how good that fight was. I think I even I left it out of my in my top five of the um, fight of the year last year. That fight was awesome. That fight with Piotr Jan was so good. And look, the younger man won. The younger man, I think, had a little bit more in the tank, pulled away in the fifth, and won the fight. That's that's how it's going to go uh, with Jose Aldo. But three round fight looked great against Marlon Vera. Will probably look great on Saturday again with a very like minded striker. So. I, I, I hope when people talk about guys like Aldo and Dominic Cruz and whoever else at this stage of their careers, they don't, the last thing they worry about is, oh, could this fight, could this fight get them back to a title shot? Who cares? Who cares? Guys, this, this card is a real referendum on, on what is the meaning of a title. And, and I think the, the, an interim title being on the line in the main event does not make it more interesting to me than a Jose Aldo, like Pedro Munoz fight. This fight doesn't need a title. It's just a great matchup between two great fighters. And I wish... That's all the fans should care about. Titles are cool. Rankings are great, especially the MMAfighting.com global rankings. But at the end of the day, don't you want to just see great fighters fight each other? That's that's what this co-main event is. That's what the epitome of. Who cares what it means, what the win or loss means for either guy? It's just going to be a great fight. Are you even able to pick this fight, Sean? Like, is it even fair? Or are we is it automatically Aldo and doesn't, you know, what, what are we thinking? I mean, I... Sure, there's always a little bit of bias when it comes to the Jose Aldo fight for me, but I do. I mean, I I am picking Jose Aldo. I do feel like he has looked really good, surprisingly good at bantamweight. Uh, and again, I I'm someone who thinks very highly of Cheeto Vera. Like, you're not going to find me ever crapping on Cheeto Vera in any regard. I think he's probably one of the most underrated guys in this whole division. And Jose Aldo did work against him, and that to me was really impressive, especially because Jose Aldo sort of has this Shogun who. Uh, Rory McDonald type of thing with his age where he's been around a lot longer than that 34 would suggest. And so in fight years, maybe he's not 34. So it does feel like he's someone, he's more of an older guy than he, again, we sort of place him when it comes to the age. So to see Jose still doing this and real performing at, at such an immensely high level this late into his career, I love it. It doesn't feel like he's any close, like he's close right now to diminishing in any, any major way from where he's currently at. So I, I love it. I think this is a perfect showcase fight for Jose. I think it's going to be all action and I do think he wins it in the end. Okay. Who do you got? 
Yeah, I'm with, I'm with Sean. I, I am picking Aldo. I'm going to go Aldo by decision. I still think he's just one of the best strikers in the world. The the only thing that's a question now is, again, is cardio. You know, five-round fights, those are always going to be, if he ever ends up in one of those again, maybe some fight night main event, They're always, those are always going to be difficult for him. Um, and especially at bantamweight, where it's just a division of young, hungry killers. But in a three-round fight, which, again, I expect mostly to be, uh, a, a, you know, comprised of stand-up, I cannot go against Aldo. Uh, I know he lost the Marais fight. A lot of people thought he won that. It was a super close fight. And then other than that, the only other decision was Volkanovski, who, again, who might be the best featherweight in the world. So if you're going to a decision with Aldo, boy, you, I mean, you really got to be at a certain level. Munoz is certainly up there. I have a lot of respect for him, but I don't think he's got the stand-up skills to beat uh, Aldo yet. So it could be, it could be Aldo takes the first two rounds, late charge by Munoz, but either way, I think Aldo's going to win on the cards. Yeah, I think Aldo gets his hand raised. I think oh everybody wins, though. Pedro Munoz wins. I think his stock rises after this fight, and we all win for getting the op- opportunity to watch it. So rest of the main card, we got Michael Chiesa versus Vicente Luque. Really important fight at 170. Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill, too. A little bit of heat between those two ladies. Main card opener at 135. Really fun fight between Casey Kenny and Song Yudong. Uh, one thing to note, Manel Kopp, a lot of people feel... This is a do or die fight for him. I would say that rings more true now than ever before. After missing weight by three pounds, his fight with Oday Osborne will happen. Cap will forfeit 20% of his purse to Osborne. Uh, but we're going to leave you with our low-key storylines of the night. Sean, what fight fighter storyline do you have your eye on heading into tomorrow night that may not be getting the attention it deserves? Sure. And I think that's wide open because I think a lot of these fights aren't getting the attention they deserve, right? Like it feels like we're not really hearing about anything uh, other than maybe Derek Lewis and Cyril gone. Uh, I have to say, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a cop-out, but for me, it's that third fight on that pay-per-view card, sort of that swing bout in the middle, the welterweights. It is a, I, I am so conflicted because these are both my guys. I mean, Michael Chiesa and Vicente Luque are two guys I have been banging the drum for in this 170 pound division for a long time. In particular, Vicente Luque, who in my mind is one of the most violent men in this entire sport. If you have an all violence first team, he has to be on it at this point, right? Like the, the, the run that he has been on. Uh, I don't even know offhand uh, off the top of my head, but I think he's won something of like, 13 of, of, of 15 or something like that in the UFC and like all of them except for one have been finishes and and most of those finishes are just incredibly destructive violent finishes this man is guaranteed entertainment every time out and Michael Chiesa has really turned things around at 170 man he kind of hit a bit of a roadblock there at 155 with his weight and, and going through those couple losses to Anthony Pettis and Kevin Lee but I've really liked how he's looked at 170. I mean, he looks like someone who actually will, will matter in this division, someone we'll need to care about and who's going to be in this title picture sooner rather than later. Four straight, Condit, Sanchez, RDA, and Magny. That RDA one in particular and Magny, both of those I, I think are very high-quality wins. So I absolutely love that fight. That feels to me uh, like the two styles at play, Kiesa more of a grinder, Luke more of just an all-action banger who's just going to let it all go. That feels like that's going to be really fun. And it's ultimately the winner of this fight, the 170-pound division is in a very weird place right now, right? Like we we know it's going to be Colby Covington and Kamar Usman, but outside of that, it feels like anything is up for grabs. You Who knows with Leon Edwards? Who knows with the rest of the guys up there at the top? Gilbert Burns is sort of floating around. You have all sorts of matchups that could be made. Steven Thompson needs to come back up. Whoever wins this fight between Kiesa and Luque, they're going to cement themselves for a big fight moving forwards, whether it's a Leon Edwards type or a Gilbert Burns type, or even just somebody on that, maybe that next level, like a Steven Thompson, they're going to be in a big, probably fight night type of main event. 
whoever wins this. And so I love it. I love the stakes of it. I love the the characters involved. I love the styles at play. Everything about this just screams fun for me. AK, what you got? Obviously, I love the Bobby Green, Rafael Fazeev fight. I actually think that right up there with Jose Aldo and Munoz as my pick for a fight of the night. It's just going to be an unbelievable three rounds of action. I just know it. I, I think we get the good version of Bobby Green. I think we get a very hungry uh, uh, Rafael Fazeev. And I think it's like just a perfect stand-up style matchup. But I am really focused. And I, and I wasn't I talked, until we kind of talked about it more this morning at the weigh-ins. I'm really kind of focused on what's going to happen with both Karolina Kovakovic and uh, Jessica Penne. I think we could see a retirement. I think we could see a retirement on Saturday. And I know uh, both these names are kind of flying under the radar, at least more than they were maybe two or three years ago. A lot of inactivity, um, uh, quite a few losses for, for uh, both these women. But there was a time when they were, uh, these these two are, are pioneers, at least of the UFC strawweight division. Um, Jessica Penny, I think was was Joanna uh, uh, Janczyk's first title defense, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, and uh, Carolina, of course, was the, a big, a big title, uh, def- uh, excuse me, title challenge against Joanna uh, at Madison Square Garden. So they, they really helped build what I think is, has become a good division. And, and, and they're both, again, again, very experienced, a little bit up there in age, and both dealing with some struggles. If Carolina Kolbakovic loses, this will be her fifth straight loss. She won't have had a win uh, since April 2018, three years. She's taken damage in these fights. She's not just losing kind of like these pitter-patter decisions. She's taken some real damage in these fights. Um, and I think even after her last one, she kind of made one of those, you know, Instagram, social media posts that's like, oh, dude, I got to think about some things. Not saying she's retiring, but certainly the kind of talk that makes you wonder how much longer this fighter wants to be in there. Jessica Penne, this will be just her second fight since 2017. Again, she's uh, she's almost 39 years old. Uh, so if she, and look, and, and both these fighters, if they feel like they're in great shape, they love showing up training, they want to fight, more power to them. You can see them fight for another five years. But I do think a tough loss on Saturday will probably spell the end of uh, one of these fighters UFC runs. And who knows, we might also see one of them leave the gloves uh, inside the cage. And I have a lot of respect for both women. So it's, I, that's why I bring this up because I hope if it does happen, it doesn't get overlooked uh, among whatever other trauma happens to uh, happens to emerge on uh, Saturday. So it, I know I'm, I'm eulogizing ahead of time. So to both uh, Kobakovitz and Penn, I apologize for that. But should it happen, again, happy trails and uh, fans to give them, give them the respect. I mean, yeah, AK, AK, you mentioned the damage that Carolina has sort of taken. I feel like that is an underrated story, mm-hmm. or maybe not underrated, but underplayed storyline yeah. sort of with this slide that she's been on. Because I was, I remember being there in Dallas when all of this started, uh, and Jessica and Draj just knocked her out in like two well, minutes. And that, that knockout at UFC 228 is one of the most brutal and violent women's not even just women's knockouts but just knockouts in general that you will see in this sport like if you go back and rewatch that one three years ago god that is a nasty one and really it felt like it and not even it felt like it it all kind of started from there because carolina obviously hasn't won a fight since then so you're absolutely right there with the damage being an underrated aspect yeah. to, to sort of this run that she's been on or the slide and, i should say and the first knockout loss of a career that's got to affect you you know what i mean again i'm not a fighter i can't speak for her but I, as a human being, I can't imagine how that does not affect you going forward. Right. Yeah. I think all of you made, uh, made good answers. Good, please. Uh, I mean, I think Kiesa Luke is the actual answer to this question about under radar underrated under the radar and not getting enough attention for the stakes and what is on the line. Uh, I'll go Casey Kenny versus Songi Dong. The fight just rules. It's in a, an important spot you know, considering some of these other fights on here, because this is the table setter. There's a reason this fight is opening up the main cards because 
there's a lot of hope that this fight delivers the goods. And I have a hard time believing any two guys just outside of the top 15 in a division like this. And I'm hoping the bonus structure gets bumped up to 75 again. Hopefully we find that out by the end of the day, but that'll be certainly in contention for the fight of the night. But listen, isn't the marquee of names you would typically look for, for a UFC pay-per-view, but this will be a fun card, my friends. And you could follow along with us throughout the night. Casey, the rogue panelist Leiden is in Houston. He will have all of your post-fight scrums, videos, pressers, etc., and we'll have you covered throughout the night. So until then, for Sean and AK, I am Mike Hack. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow night. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombe makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.